You want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're continuing to go through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this morning we find our place in verse 38. So let me read the text and then we'll make some comments. Verse 38, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lord, we thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for the application here as we apply it to our lives. Might be empowered by your Spirit. We thank you that you have given us a book of instruction on how to deal with difficult people. And we pray that uh, especially your word of truth might enlighten our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you respond to someone who's hurt you, who's inconvenienced you, Somebody has been a real pain in the neck. How do you respond to somebody who's over a period of time has proven that they are against you? That they are, you are, they are your enemy, literally. Working actively against everything that you know to be true. How do you respond to that? I've told this story several times, maybe once, maybe twice. And every time I tell it, um, all the animal people get mad at me. Please don't get mad at me. This is what I did this day, as I'm going to illustrate, was not a good thing. But it's oftentimes how we react. Many, many years ago, when my little daughter Renata was only two years old, We were living just around the corner from here, off Crescenta. We had a house there, and I was working in the garage, and we had both cars parked in the driveway, and Renata had one of those little pull toys you pull around. You know, it goes quack, 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 quack. 
And I turned around and had my back to her, and I heard her start to scream, and I heard this dog barking. And I turned around, and all I saw was her back of her head, because she was turned opposite where I could see her, and I saw this Doberman pincher barking right at her face. Well, I reached behind me and grabbed a claw hammer, because I, I felt that the dog had bitten my daughter on the face. And I turned and I began screamed at the top of my lungs with a claw hammer going after the dog. And I leaped over the dog and went for the dog. Well, when the dog saw the, the claw hammer, he skedaddled. And just about that time, with all that noise going on, the owner of the dog came out from the house across the street and began to call to the dog. And I was launched out chasing the dog down the street with a claw hammer ready to do to his face what he had done to my daughter. And just about then in the back of my uh, head, I heard my wife cry out, Neil, Neil, she's okay. He didn't bite her. And that was almost when I had reached the dog. And the owner was screaming, please, please, no, he's only a puppy. Now, I don't hate dogs, but at that moment, I wanted revenge. And I wanted to do to that dog what I thought he had done to my precious little two-year-old girl. Now, that, in a way, illustrates oftentimes what our first reaction is when somebody hurts us or someone has proved to be our enemy, or someone has hurt what's dear and precious to our heart. Isn't that oftentimes our first response? Mm. And I was a Christian. I was a pastor then. Well, in our passage, Jesus has two words of wisdom, one a negative and one a positive. He's going to tell us what we are not to do, and then he's going to tell us what we should do when someone hurts us, when someone stands against us, when someone is, in reality, our enemy. Now, I know you guys have moved to a higher plane where you don't do that anymore, but I thought, since it's in the book, let's just go over it, and we'll take it from there. First, What we are not to do. What we are not to do. We are not to take revenge. Jesus says, don't take revenge. Look what it says. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, as we've gone through this section in the latter half of chapter 5, We've been showing how Jesus responds to the inaccurate teaching of the scribes and the Pharisee of his day. And he constantly is saying, you've heard that it was said this, but I say to you. So we're going to follow the same pattern that we've done in previous studies. We're going to look at the passage from the context of the Hebrew scriptures, then see how it was being misinterpreted, and then see what Jesus says. So this morning... Uh, We have an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were teaching. Let's take a look at the Hebrew scriptures and see indeed what what the Hebrew scriptures say. And we'll go to 
the first place we want to go to is Exodus chapter 21, what the Hebrew scriptures really meant. Exodus 21, 22. Turn there with me. Exodus 21, 22 says, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fine as a woman's husband may demand of him and he shall pay the judges, pay as the judges decide. But if there's any further injury, then you shall appoint a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. There, there's one of the passages. It's also, there's a other passage very similar to that found in Leviticus chapter 24, but let's turn to Deuteronomy. Gives us a, a clearer p- picture. Deuteronomy 19, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against the man to accuse him of a wrongdoing, then both the men who have dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, who will be in office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness and he's accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he has intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid, will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. That and several other passages is where the Pharisees uh, had determined to say uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's what they were teaching. Now, we need to understand what was going on here. The reason these scriptures were given, they were given to stop what is called a blood feud. A blood feud. Back in those days, if someone injured you, oftentimes the party that was injured, either the family or the tribe, would then go back and wreak havoc on the person who did the wrong. Then that family who had their person harmed would go back and harm the other party. And they would go back and forth, oftentimes escalating in the violence and what was happening to one another. And it would continue on for a long period of time, oftentimes even forgetting the original offense that had taken place. That's called a blood feud. Now, we have an example of that here in America with the Hatfields and the McCoys. That's what goes on. We see that even in the third world countries, even today, where tribes or people group will be involved in this tit-for-tat going on. We see it also in the inner city with the gangs with the Bloods and the Crips, oftentimes where they will, these blood feuds will go on. And so these instructions were given, these instructions were given to stop the blood feuds. So there would be equitable punishment for a crime, equitable punishment for a crime that fit what had happened. Now, notice one thing in both those scriptures the response was to be determined by the priest or the judge, an objective, 
objective third party, not the offending party, would not determine what was to be done in response to the offense. That's what the Hebrew scriptures taught. Okay. Notice how, however, how the scribes and the Pharisees misinterpreted these passages. Going back to verse 38, they saw that the offended party should determine the response. If you, it was, there's an offense, an eye for an eye. You decide what should be done, not an objective third party. They also took a negative command and made it a positive one. So if someone offended you, you must go out and return an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. It wasn't uh, a restraining influence. It was almost, yeah, go ahead. You have the right to do that. So we see what the Hebrew scriptures were saying and how it was misinterpreted by the scribes and the Pharisees. What did Jesus have to say? And that's where we see majority of our time spent is spent in verses 39 through 42. Jesus takes a completely different track. He says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, and whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, oftentimes, this particular passage has been used by Christian groups to say that you should be a pacifist. You, you should uh, not do that. You should not fight in armies. You should not be a policeman. Um, and they have this attitude like, well, they are the higher, uh, they have taken a higher plane because they are a pacifist. And that Jesus teaches us that you shouldn't resist an evil person. Well, I'm afraid that's a misinterpretation of the scriptures. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is not saying. So what I want to do is I want to look at this, this particular section, and I first want to say, let's understand what Jesus is not saying, and then we'll understand what he is saying. This is what he's not saying. This does not apply to nations defending themselves this does not apply to nations defending themselves or Christians being involved in the armed services or as policemen. He is not advocating being a pacifist. That's the furthest from what the scriptures teach. Why do I say that? Well, let's take a look. First, I want to turn just for a moment to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 Beginning in verse 1, Paul begins to talk about the role of government in this world. In verse 3, he goes on and he says, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, that is government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister, that is the government, is a minister of God, 
an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. You see that? Now, that passage also is mirrored by 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, which says essentially the same thing. Government has been instituted by God to punish those who do evil. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and James chapter 4, verse 7, the passages teach that we should resist, we should resist those who are doing the work of the devil. He uses, both James and Peter use the same word that Jesus uses in verse 39, resist. In those passages, it tells us we should resist those who do the work of the devil in this world. And certainly that was exemplified during World War II when Hitler and the Nazis must, be, must have been stopped because if they hadn't been stopped, they would have murdered every Jew in Europe and anybody else that disagreed with them. In Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it tells us we are not to become overcome by evil but we are to overcome evil with good. We are not to be overwhelmed by evil, such as was exemplified by the Nazis in the 30s and the 40s, but we are to overcome evil with good. Now, how does this apply? Well, if you have an intruder that comes into your house, if you have an intruder that comes into your house, and wants to take advantage of your goods and wants to hurt your family, the best thing, the most loving Christian thing that you can do to him is to take him out with the shotgun shells to his lower legs. You're saying, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't sound very loving. It is the loving Christian thing to do, you know, because if you take him out, it will keep him from maybe murdering you or your wife and serving a life sentence or getting a death sentence. He might only get breaking and entering and he'll be out of jail if he is uh, helped and able to go on and live a productive life. So oftentimes the best thing that you can do is to uh, resist that kind of thing. It is the loving Christian thing to do. Jesus is not advocating Jesus is not advocating us to be pacifists so that anyone who wants to come and do evil to us, that we just lay down and let them do it to us. That's not what he's teaching. Well, if he's not teaching us to be Christian pacifists, what then is he saying? He is speaking about a person not having a spirit of revenge and getting even for those who have done hurtful things to you and those who have proven to be your enemy. Let me um, read from Romans chapter 12 again. Now, the words that he speaks are directed towards a person who has experienced what is told us in earlier chapter 5, talking about the beatitude type of person. When you have had that experience of being a beatitude type of person, when you know the Lord is the Lord of your life and he is the judge and that everything that you have belongs to him, you can do this. 
in, as I said, in Romans chapter 12, listen to what he says. He almost mirrors what Jesus is saying. Verse 18, if possible, so as, as, as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, well, that gets on to what we're going to appoint just next point. He says that we are not to take our own revenge. We're not to take, get even with people. Now, why is that so important? Why shouldn't we get even? Why shouldn't we take our revenge? There's a couple of reasons. First, first reason, the Lord knows the whole story. He knows what motivated that person to do what he did to you. He knows the real reason why. He also knows the real reason why perhaps you were part of the problem. Did you hear that? Maybe you are part of the problem. Your reaction to what he did to you is often motivated by what? Your emotions, your anger, and your response to what he had done to you or what she had done to you is often not rooted and grounded in the real knowledge of what the cause of the problem was. God knows the reason why what happened happened. The second reason why we shouldn't take revenge or get even is because the Lord might be using this event, this crisis in his life, to bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you, by getting even and getting your revenge, might be a hindrance to the very process of bringing that person to the Lord. Third reason. The Lord does it always perfectly. When you see the Lord do this wonderful thing, and it's just, it's like you go like this, I couldn't have done it better myself. (laughs) You let the Lord do it. And when he does it, his timing is absolutely perfect, and it's right on. And you look back and say, yes. Yes, Lord. It says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And when he does it, he does it good. Really, really good. Now, in verses 39 through 42, he gives four practical examples of how not to get caught up, how not to get even. You see, if we don't see the Lord as judge, if we don't know that he's the source of all that we have, then what happens when somebody Uh, takes advantage of us, we want to retaliate, like it says in verse 39. When somebody takes us to court, we want to hire a more higher power lawyer and really fix him, like it says in verse 40. When some government official takes advantage of us, we want to really jump into it. And when some poor person asks us for something, we're all selfish thinking about our own stuff rather than giving in. So what do we do when someone is our enemy? Someone hurts us? First thing Jesus tells us, don't 
take revenge. Second thing, more positive side, found in verses 43 through 48, he says we are to love and pray for them. Look what he says, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay. Now, let's take a look at that passage. If you notice in your Bible, the words, you shall love your neighbor, are highlighted, and hate your enemy is in lowercase. What does that mean? The second half of what they were saying was not correct, was not found in the Scriptures. So let's go back, take a look at our two passages in the Hebrew Scriptures from which they determine this teaching. The first is found in Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18. You have uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance. Oh, there's our first part. Nor shall you bear a grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? So the first part of that quotation was right. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 23, however. Deuteronomy chapter 23. And that is verses 3 through 6. Deuteronomy 23, 3. No Adamite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. Many of the commentators feel that these two passages are the source from which the scribes and the Pharisees were saying, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, it says that the Lord did not choose Israel because they were some sort of great people, but he chose them because he wanted to use them as a light and a blessing to all the world. They were no different from any other the Semitic people who lived in that area. They were no different. They were all Semitic people. But the Lord called them, the Lord called them the sons of Abraham. They were to be a blessing to all the Gentiles, all the people of the earth. Now, it says in that passage, Deuteronomy chapter 23, because of the Ammonites um, and the Edomites, they were not to seek their peace and prosperity because they had worked against them. Well, they had expanded that idea. They had expanded that idea to include all the Gentile people. But the Hebrew scriptures really taught them to love their neighbor 
and to be a blessing to the non-Jewish people. That's what the, the Hebrew scriptures teach. Now, let's take a look at what the scribes and the Pharisees, how they had misinterpreted these passages. As time went on, and the Hebrews did not mix with other nations in marriage, they became a very distinct group of people. Oftentimes, they were, they were surrounded by hostile nations, either because of political reasons or religious reasons. Those people who attacked them, they were seen as attacking God because this was the kingdom of God. And so they were seen as attacking God. And over time, they began to see the Gentiles as somewhat, not as people to be blessed, but people to be resisted and fought against. And it wasn't just the Ammonites and the Edomites. It was anybody who opposed them because they were opposing the kingdom of God. And so they were seen many times by the time of Jesus' day as somewhat subhuman almost. Gentile dogs, goyim, someone to have nothing to do with. And consequently, the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy because they were fighting against the very kingdom of God. We see this even in Acts chapter 6 carried into the New Testament. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6 where the Hellenistic Jews, Hellenistic Jews were Jews who had lived outside of Jerusalem area, were living among the Gentile people where the Hellenistic Jews were treated unfairly by the Jerusalem Jews because the Jerusalem Jews, they didn't live among the Goyim, the hated Gentile people. They were not polluted by the Gentiles. And we see that same sort of prejudice even carried over into Christianity, early Christianity. So this is what the scribes and the Pharisees had misinterpreted that which the Hebrew scriptures clearly taught. Now, what did Jesus have to say? Well, we saw it in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them. I read in Romans chapter 12, I started to read 19 and 20. Let's, let's go back there for a minute. Let me just read it. So as we're, in verses um, 17 and 18 talk about never paying back evil for evil. Paul continues in verse 19. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Then verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. He's not talking about throwing fire on his head. He's talking about convicting him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to love them. We are to love them. Now, he's not talking about liking what they're doing. He's talking about loving them with very practical actions. He's not talking about a feeling. He's talking about first you begin to act kindly towards them and go out of your way to show love. And then the feelings come later. We are to love them with loving actions. We are also to pray for them. 
We are to pray for them. Now, oftentimes when we're dealing with our enemies, especially in our, our culture, our first thing is to try and win them over with our beautiful uh, words of, uh, clear words of rebuke to show them how wrong they are. Oftentimes that gets us nowhere but into a big argument. What needs to happen is they need to have a heart change. Isn't that true? They need to have a heart change. They need to come to a place where they see the truth. I came across a, a little, um, who is it? My, my sister sent me a, a little uh, thing from Peanuts. It's Linus and Lucy. Remember those two. Lucy says to Linus, I'm pro-choice. So Linus says to him, can I choose to smoke? She says, no, it's not good for you. He says, can I choose to have a large soda? She says, no, it's not good for you. Linus says, can I choose to own a gun? Lucy says, no, it's not safe for kids. Linus says, can I choose to have an incandescent bulb? No, it's not good for the planet. Can I choose to use low-cost coal? No, it's not good for the planet. Can I, I choose to honor God? No, it's offensive. So Linus asks Lucy, what can I choose? An abortion. That's very close to the truth. Now, how do you change a person like that? With arguments? No, no, my friends. You choose, you, you, you get them to change by beginning to pray for them and love them. Now, maybe the reason you're a Christian, maybe the reason you're as a Christian is someone was praying for you. When you were way out in the darkness. Very, very true. So Jesus tells us first to love them. Not like, We don't have to like them. He's telling them, love them with actions. Do good to them and pray for them. And pray for them. Now, when we do this, notice what happens. Look in verses 45, 45 and following. Two things happen when we love them and pray for them. Two things happen. First, we're acting like the sons of God. Notice what it says. So that, here's the results, that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Why? For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Oftentimes, God favors the unrighteous with all, everything that he gives us. He shows them good. And he goes on, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The Gentiles? They're only nice to the people that are nice. So if you're nice to only the people who are nice, well, then you're no better than a Gentile, an unbeliever. He goes on. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So when you love them with real actions and you pray for them, 
you're mirroring what God does and you're actually beginning to walk like a son of God and a daughter of God. Then he goes on. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. God is perfect in the sense that he's the fullest expression of what God is. And we are to be perfect, not in the sense of sinless, but we are to be mature as the best as we can as sons and daughters of God. Immature believers have a spirit of revenge. Immature believers have a spirit of revenge. Immature believers don't pray and don't love their enemies. Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us, don't take revenge. Don't go against those who stand against you and have hurt you. Pray for them. Love them. Okay. Let me close with a story. There were three men hiking through a forest when they came upon a large, raging, violent river. Needing to get the other side, the first man prayed, God, give me the strength to cross this river. Instantly, God gave him bigger arms and strong legs, and he was able to swim across the river in about an hour, almost going under several times. After witnessing that, the second man prayed, God, give me the strength and the tools to cross this river. Suddenly in the bushes, he saw a rowboat, and he got in it, and with his strong arms and his strong legs, he was able to cross the river in about a half an hour, almost capsizing several times. Seeing what happened with the first two men, the third man prayed, God, please give me the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross this river. Poof, instantly he was turned into a woman. She checked the map, hiked up 100 yards, and crossed the stream on the bridge. (laughs) Every once in a while, I have to throw a bone to the women here in the congregation. (laughs) Now, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is... God has given us a map. God has given us a map how to deal with difficult situations. Now, you can do it the hard way if you want. You can do it the hard way. But what I have found, when, especially when Pastor Rob and our, myself have gone to um, nursing homes, the people who have lived a life of not being able to forgive people, people who insist on taking revenge and getting even, people who didn't pray and love their enemies, end up bitter, angry, ugly, tormented people. However, people who know that God is in charge and he He will take care of us. He's in charge. And he owns everything. And we can release it. We don't have to seek revenge.
We can love people in real ways and we can pray for them. And then when we follow the map, the book, we find life and life more abundantly. How do we handle difficult situations and difficult people? Don't take revenge. Don't get even. Pray for them. Love them. Let's pray. Father, over and over again, you confront us with our worldly responses to difficult situations. Over and over again, you confront us as we uh, lean on our own understanding in doing things. But again and again, you show us a better way. You've given us the map for life. You've given us the way to live. May we be careful to yield ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen.